In this climate in which we live, to believe in one truth at the cost of others claims the truth. To say that Christianity is true, at least to a greater degree than other religions, is seen as being narrow. You're bigoted, you're prejudiced, you're biased, you're just, you've got a myopic brain. Like Dr. McLean said. It's like, how unkind, how unloving, how judgmental. Even last week, I, I, after service, had a, uh, some good talks with several people, sincere people who just really were asking questions. But the idea that maybe Christianity is true and that means by implication that some other belief systems aren't true struck them as judgmental, harsh, cruel, mean, uncompassionate. All things are relative. And so you find it creeping into the church. Many There are, I think, far more than we'd ever think or maybe suspect there's the belief that it's okay to believe in Jesus, but, you know, don't be exclusive about that. Believe in Jesus, but also leave the door open for all other possibilities. Believe in Jesus, but don't rule out Islam, don't rule out Muhammad, don't rule out Buddha, don't rule out Krishna, don't rule out Elizabeth Clare Prophet. I mean, everyone's got to kind of find their own thing. We, no one really knows what's going on anyway, so you just got to be very inclusive and very tolerant. If it works for you, if Jesus works for you, that's good, that's wonderful. And the New Age movement has a lot of wonderful things to say about Jesus. But one thing they will never say, and this is the, 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 the supreme vice in our culture, is to say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. To say that somehow there's something exclusive or absolutely unique about him. That's narrow, and that's wrong. I want to say two things in response to that. The first thing is this. Is it really the case? Is it really the case that believing that Christianity is the truth in a way that no other religion is? They may have human wisdom. They may have human insight. There may be a lot of wonderful things there, and I believe there are, and I, make, I spend a large part of my life studying that stuff. And there's a lot of wonderful things in the Bhagavad Gita and in those books, but I don't believe that they're saving. The question is, is it narrow-minded to believe that Christianity is the truth in a saving way and other religions aren't? Let me tell you a parable to get the point across. It looks like it's so broad-minded to say, oh, it doesn't matter which way you go. But my argument is that it's just as narrow as anything anyone could believe. Picture ten people walking in a the woods. They get very, very, very lost. They come to an opening in the forest, and uh, in this, in, in this uh, opening in the forest, there's ten different paths that are there. They start to argue with one another about which path will take them out of the forest. To make matters a little bit worse, they smell smoke. This forest is on fire. And so they don't have a whole lot of time to bicker about this. They've got to decide. They've got to make a decision. Forest is on fire. Which way do we go? Person number one says, let's go to this path. Person number two says, let's go to this path. Person number three says, let's go to this path. Let's go to the east. Let's go to the west. Let's go to the north. Let's go to the south. And they argue and argue, and each has their own little reasons for choosing the path they go on. Eight, the first eight people choose eight different paths. But the ninth person... Let's just call her Shirley. Um, let's pull the name out of the hat. She says, oh, you guys. And they're all getting worried. Which one's right? Which way do I go? I don't know. Well, we're lost. We smell smoke. We're going to die. Oh, which way? No, no, no. Let's flip a coin. Let's do this. She says, be calm. Be calm. It doesn't really matter which way you go, if you really believe it. The forest isn't so cruel and the fire isn't so mean to burn you up if you have a sincere heart. And what is, what, is, what is the path out for one person may not be the path out for another person. It's all relative. So go your own way. Choose your own path. Find your own way out. And if you really believe it in your heart, you'll get there. Maybe not in this lifetime, but sooner or later you're going to get there. 
And, and this gives a sense of peace to some of them because it means that whatever you believe is okay. It takes the pressure off. There's nothing to argue about. There's nothing to discuss about. It takes all the pressure off. Everybody's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. And there's a kind of peace that settles in on them. And they're just getting ready to go off on a little trail when all of a sudden, the 10th person, let's call him Paul. <laughs> just a name out of a hat. Says, wait a second, you guys. Wait, I just, I just remembered something. This is just like Paul. I, I just remembered something. Before we left, the forest stranger gave me a map. I forgot all about it. Here it is. He gave me a map. Here's the map. It's signed by his name. He's got his certification approval here. This is his map. And while there's a lot of things on this map that I don't understand, a lot of the topography I can't get right, I do know where we are. Here's this opening, and it does say we're to follow this path right here. This is the path we're to take. And some of the other ones say, what do you mean, that path? No one chose that path. That's the narrowest path. That's, that, that, that's the road less traveled. That's a path that we would never think about going on. That looks like it's going to lead us deeper into the forest. It looks like it's leading us directly to the fire. But Paul says, no, wait a minute. This is the, 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 the four strangers, the one who would know, and the map is the only one who would get it right, so we should follow this. Now, just think for a second here. This is really a parable about life, isn't it? Because we are in a forest, and there's a lot of different claims about which way to go, and right now we're, we're faced with a monumental claim that characterizes our whole culture that says it doesn't really matter. And that looks like a broad-minded thing. It doesn't really matter. It looks like this person's really inclusive. This person isn't just choosing one path. This person's choosing all the paths. But now think for a second. What, are, what is the probability of any one of those people choosing the right path on their own? It's one in ten. What is the probability that Shirley is right? It's one in ten. It looks like she's being more open-minded. It looks like she's being compassionate. It looks like she's just being broad and, and egalitarian. But as a matter of fact, the chance of her being right is just as small as the chance of any one of them being right. What tips the scale is if somebody's doing more than guessing at this thing and someone's got a road map. It's just the same way with Christianity. As the New Age says that it doesn't matter which way you go, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what your moral system is, as long as you believe it, as long as you're going your own way on the spiritual road, as they say that, it looks broad-minded and it looks appealing and it looks attractive and it takes the pressure off of life. But it could very well be that that is the way that leads to destruction. I believe it is the way that leads to destruction. The Bible says there is a way that seems right unto a man, Proverbs 14, but the way thereof is destruction. We need more than our own little guesses. We need more than our own little whims. We need more than our own little preferences. What we need is a road map. Thank God we've got one. And the positions Christians are in is this. We're in a forest. A lot of things are confusing, and even some things about the road map are confusing. No one understands the Bible perfectly. But what I do know is that this is a lot more than a guess. This is a lot more than a, than a little preference. This is, this is the forest ranger showing me the way out. It's the forest ranger showing me uh, how to avoid this fire. It's the lamp unto my feet. It's the Word of God that enlightens my path. And I know that if I follow it, I'm going to be let out, even if it seems to be leading me in what appears initially to be the wrong way. It will lead me to truth, whereas other ways, even though they appear to be leading in the right way, will eventually lead to disaster and to destruction. There's nothing narrow about believing that. There's nothing myopic or bigoted about believing that the Bible is true in a way that the Bhagavad Gita or the Vedas or the, or the divine principles aren't. You're just saying, this is the roadmap, And it's not judgmental. It's not condemning. We're not even playing God and saying what happens to those other people. All we're saying is that this I know, this comes from the forest stranger, and this is true. There's nothing narrow about that. A second thing that needs to be said about this uh, uh, view on the relativity of truth is this. The New Age movement likes to incorporate Jesus into their theological scheme. 
They don't want to rule Jesus out. No one says that he's of the devil or he's bad or, or anything like that. The New Age movement, Elizabeth Clare Prophet and, and D.Z. Phillips and D.Z. Knight and some of these others, they say wonderful things about Jesus, greatest man that ever lived, most enlightened being that uh, you know, ever was on the earth. He's farther along than any one of us. That seems pretty complimentary. He's spiritually more evolved. He is what we all desire to be and what we shall someday become. They say a lot of wonderful things about him. But they also say a lot of wonderful things about a lot of others. And they do not want to narrow it down to anything like saying he's the savior of the world. Now, in some ways, this directly parallels that religion that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks that was plaguing the Colossians. In Colossians 2.8 that Paul read you, the Colossians, we know from the second century documents, this religion at, at Colossae, they didn't want to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to keep Jesus. But as we see in, in Colossians 2.18 of, of, of uh, that passage, they wanted to worship a bunch of angels along with Jesus. They wanted Jesus, but they also wanted everything else. They wanted Jesus, but they wanted to have a whole hierarchy of spiritual beings just to make sure they got it right. They wanted Jesus, but they didn't want to be narrow about it. They wanted Jesus, but they didn't want to you know, be exclusive in any way. They wanted Jesus, but they wanted to be egalitarian. They wanted to be inclusive. They wanted to be all-encompassing. That's kind of a safe thing. And Paul writes to them, and says this, in a nutshell, you can't have your cake and eat it too. To accept Jesus, and this is simply the thing I want to confront you with. To accept Jesus, and again, this is going to go against a lot of our cultural presuppositions. It certainly goes against New Age presuppositions. But accepting Jesus is an all or nothing proposition. Paul, Jesus, Peter, the entire New Testament doesn't leave for us open the option of, being, of making Jesus part of our theological system. Paul says in Colossians 2, to these Christians who were being all-inclusive in their angel worship and putting Jesus of one among many ascended masters, Paul says to them, you guys are getting it wrong. You're not understanding what you're doing. You're not connected to the head, he says. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ bodily. The fullness of the Godhead is there. And all that you can know about God is found in Jesus Christ. And all that you need to know about God is found in Jesus Christ. And all you need to have a, uh, an atoning relationship with God is found in Jesus Christ. And all you need to be saved is found in Jesus Christ. And all you need to be made whole is found in Jesus Christ. The fullness of life is found in Jesus Christ. And the one thing you can't do if you understand what Christianity is about is to water that down, is to make it all inclusive, is to spread it out and say a little bit for Jesus and a little bit for Buddha and a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit for this angel and a little bit for that angel. It doesn't work. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can call that narrow if you want, but either he's right or wrong. And it's just as narrow to say that he's right as it is narrow to say that he's wrong. But one thing is clear. You can't say he's one of the ways, one of the truth, one of the life. He's either all or nothing. He says to his disciples, if you see me, you see the Father. No one goes to the Father except through me. And you can write him off as being bigoted. You can write him off as being narrow-minded. You can write him off as being myopic. But either he's right or he's wrong. There's no middle ground here. You either got to reject him as a total lunatic or accept him as the Lord, Savior, God of your life. But one thing you can't do is to make him a part of a whole general scheme along with a bunch of other religious people. He doesn't leave for us that option. He says he's the Savior of the world. And the message I want you to get is this. You have a decision to make. You're in this opening in the forest. That's what life is like. And as a matter of fact, it is on fire. You can smell the smoke. You don't have an eternity to play around with this thing. One of us may die tonight. You've got a decision to make. And what confronts you is this. Are you going to go down the path of Jesus Christ, or are you going to listen to Shirley? That's the decision. Your chances when you listen to Shirley are 1 in 10. 
your chances are much better when you listen to the road map. But to go down this, this path requires this. It requires total allegiance. It requires total allegiance, total selling out. This is the way to go. And this is why the Bible repeatedly shuts down other options. And this may sound narrow to us in this culture where we want our cake and eat it too, but it's just the way it is. The Bible shuts down other ways of trying to get to God. Read Deuteronomy 18 sometime. The Lord says this, and this is a theme that repeats all over the place. Don't go dabbling in spiritual stuff outside of what I've told you to do. Don't go dabbling in mysticism, it says. Don't go dabbling in divination, Ouija board kind of stuff. Don't go dabbling in fortune telling, uh, zodiac kind of stuff. Don't go playing with mediums and spiritism in the sort. Because what you're doing is, you're going down roads and you don't know where they lead. You're going in a spiritual realm and you don't know all that's there. It's not the case that everything in the spiritual realm is good. There's a lot of demonic diabolical stuff. So the Lord says, when you choose to go down this road, and you must choose it, it's straight. And it is narrow. But praise God, it's the way that leads to eternal life. To reject that, at least know what you're doing. To reject it is to be as narrow-minded as it is to accept it, if you want to talk like that. But that's the decision you have to make. It's good to get the cards on the table. Let's know what the game's all about. All cards on the table. Let's, let's just get clear on what the issues are. The second foundational belief... Uh, the third foundational belief, the second one I want to talk about this morning, is in some ways the most fundamental and most offensive of all the foundational beliefs of the New Age movement. It is the belief that we are God. We are God. It's the belief that everything is God. It's the belief that reality is one. All things are one. This comes right out of, uh, out of Eastern religion, primarily Hinduism. And we've, we've it's slowly crept into uh, Western culture. The belief that all of us and all things that ever were and ever shall be, we are all God. What it's kind of like is this. Have you ever dreamed that you were somebody else? And maybe you were even talking to yourself, but in the dream you were the somebody else and not yourself? Most of us have had dreams like that. Or we, dream from, we, we see things from a different person's perspective. And during the dream you think you're this other person? According to New Age thinking, and it's a, it comes right out of uh, you know, Hinduism, 2,000 years old, we are in this world a dream. We are all God, you see. But we're thinking that we're not. We're dreaming that we're not. We're God, as one Hindu proverb says, we're God playing hide-and-go-seek with ourselves. To amuse ourselves. We are God incognito. We're God seeking to wake up to our own godhood. But really, our essence, our, our innermost being, what we truly are, and what all things truly are, is God. God is one. And the apparent diversity of things, the apparent uh, you know, multiplicity of things, is all an illusion. It's what they call maya. Maya, M-A-Y-A, which means illusion. Or, 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 or temporal appearance. And so the New Age movement believes that what we really are is one with all things. But we have a limited perspective because we're playing God with ourselves. But what we need to do, according to the New Age movement, is to realize, wake up to, our unlimited potential within us. We need to create our own reality. Whenever you hear people talking about creating your own reality, buzzers show go off because that is simply a New Age cliche. You can only do that if you're God. Only God creates reality. And, and, and so when they talk about that, your buzzers should go off. We, we need to realize our unlimited potential to create our own reality. Realize your unlimited wisdom that resides within you. Realize your unlimited power that re resides within you. And this is the kind of thinking that is infiltrating our educational systems. It's the kind of thinking that's infiltrating our office places. It's the kind of thinking that's, that's infecting the academy. It's all over the place. 
What keeps you from realizing your full divinity is simply your identification with your maya self, your illusory self, as though that were the absolute self. And so they develop many, many techniques to wake up and get rid of your own individuality. That's a New Age belief. Let me say two things about that. First, this belief completely undermines a belief that God is all good and all holy, and it completely undermines the belief that evil is wrong or that sin is evil. In the biblical view, God is an all-holy God. In the biblical view, there is no shadow of malice, no hint of evil in God. In the biblical view, God is incapable, because of his character, of doing anything that is in the least bit compromising, that is any, in any sense less than perfect. God is, in every sense of the word, a perfect being, in the biblical view. And in the biblical view, all evil in the world is the result of the exercise of free will other than God of angelic free will and of human free will. That's where all evil comes from. But God doesn't have anything to do with that. God is perfect and holy and righteous and just. But see, according to the New Age, God is no better than this world because God is this world. And according to the New Age thinking, God's no better than any one of us because God is us. According to New Age thinking, whatever happens ultimately is God doing it to himself. If I jump down right here and I just decide I'm going to slug you and pound a daylight out of you and slug you all up and kick you in there. Well, first of all, he'd sue me uh, pretty bad. Uh, but really what this is is God doing it to himself. I'm God and he's God. And we must have decided in this dream for, for, for a game, for some kind of amusement, to go through this kind of thing. But it's God doing it to God. When the Serbs fight the Croatians, the Croatians fight the Muslims, the Muslims fight the Serbs, and all these children get killed and everything's being slaughtered, it's God doing it to himself. No big deal. It's a dream. It's illusion. God, don't worry about it. When Hitler's killing the Jews, that's God killing the Jews. And when Hitler kills the Jews, that's God being killed by God. It's all us doing it to, to ourselves. When Stalin kills 30 million peasants, that's God killing 30 million peasants and God being killed by God, who is Stalin. Every rape that occurs is God doing it to himself. Every murder that occurs, every deformed baby is God doing it to himself. It's no big deal. In fact, if you take the form, form a, a, a thing that I told you about a couple weeks ago, which, is, which has uh, new age inclinations at the very least, though it has a lot of good things to say about communication, go into it for a year and you begin to have this kind of thinking. You're responsible for everything that happens to you. Everything that happened to you, so you, you didn't realize it, but you chose it. So I know one guy who went and apologized to his father because of his father abused him and, and, and he was angry about that. And now he had to apologize because he didn't realize that he was doing it to himself. The first thing you have to do is take responsibility for everything that happened to you. The rape that happened to you, the slander that happened to you, the disease that happens to you. You're doing it to yourself because you are God. And you'll never be free to enjoy your unlimited power and health and whatever until you realize that. But I regard that, in a word, as being utterly, utterly unacceptable. In the core of our being is the conviction that murder and rape is wrong. In the core of our being is the conviction that the evil in this world really is evil. It's not just a hidden form of good. It's not morally neutral. There really is a right and there really is a wrong. But according to this philosophy, which comes out of Hinduism, there's no such categories as right and wrong. Things just are. You can't blame Hitler for it. You can't blame Stalin for it. You can't blame your father for what he did to you. It's all morally neutral. You're doing it to yourself. And that I regard as being unacceptable. It certainly violates everything about Christianity 
which says that there is a righteous God who is a, has a righteous order and, and a righteous moral code, and he implants that in our heart, and that's what the conviction is when we think that things really are wrong and fight against it. Here's something that's a little bit ironical. In India, you look at India, which has been, for the most part, Hindu throughout its history. It has, up until the last 20, 30 years, when it got influenced by Western thinking, it was totally backwards in terms of its social development. Very little social justice there. People living in despicable conditions. Very little done to try to improve the human race. Very little done in terms of social action and trying to help the poor. Why? That's well, not hard to figure out. Everyone's doing it to themselves. So why should you intervene and stop it? There's no room for compassion if, in fact, whatever anyone goes through is their own choosing. Christianity has had something very different. Christianity has said things can be wrong, and it's our job, it's our calling to do something about it, to intervene on behalf of people, to try to make the world a better place, to try to help people live according to their dignity as the image of God. And that's why the Western culture has been so progressive on social issues. No other culture has had the stand for justice that our culture's had. And what's mind-boggling is that now we are abandoning that to go after what they've had all these centuries. I don't get it. But the result won't be positive. In any case, that's the implication when you believe that you are God. The final thing I want to say about it is this. This belief that we are God destroys the beauty of the God-human relationship. In fact, it is, from a biblical perspective, the essence of sin. The essence of sin to say, I am God. God created us finite. God created us needy. God created us to be totally dependent upon Him. And that's not a bad thing. He's not selling us short. We're not, we're not having our rights violated. We, didn't, we have no right to exist, but He created us. And that's a good thing. But see, God wants to pour His life and pour His love and pour the fullness of His being into us by grace. As a beautiful relationship, the most beautiful thing conceivable is the love, infinitely loving relationship that God wants to have with His created children. It's a beautiful thing that God has established. We're needy, He wants to, get, he wants to meet our needs, and so He pours His life into us. But sin occurs whenever we become disgruntled with that relationship. Sin occurs whenever we try to usurp the proper order of creation. Sin occurs when we try to say, it's not enough that I'm needy. It's not enough that God wants to fill me. It's not enough that what I am, I am by grace. But I want to be God. And so you find in Isaiah 14, Satan saying this. Satan was created the highest, the most beautiful of all the angels. Had incredible potential for good. But he says, I will ascend. Read Isaiah 14. I will ascend and be like the Most High. I will sit on the throne of God. I will be the Almighty. And that's the origin of evil. That's the origin of sin. And that's the origin of everything that's destructive in our world. And so he falls. And then he whispers to Eve the same lie. You can be like God. And Eve says, I want to be like God. And that's what brought about all that's destructive in our life. And everything... In one way or another, that is destructive, that is hazardous, that tears us apart in our life as a result of our not listening to and seeing and appreciating the proper place that we have in the created order. Us not loving and appreciating the, the God-human relationship, the beauty of the God-human relationship that God created us to enjoy. When we say it's not enough to be dependent on God, I want to be independent like God. When we say it's not enough for us to be the creature, we want to be the creator. When we say it's not, of us for, not enough for us to be the child of God, we want to be our own father. When we say it's not enough for us to be lovingly related to the Lord, but we want to be the Lord of our own life, we want to be God, we want the whole thing, we've totally destroyed the beautiful relationship that God has created us to have. And it destroys us. And that's why it's called sin. 
Sin is whatever destroys us. The, the truth of the matter is, here's the way out of the forest. The truth of the matter is that we're not God. And that's a good thing. And we don't have a right to be God. The truth of the matter is that we're created finite beings. The truth of the matter is that we're created to be in, uh, in a dependent relationship with God. The truth of the matter is that we've fallen from that. We have sinned. And so the truth of the matter is that not only are we not God, we are not holy. The truth of the matter is, is that we have been in rebellion against God, being co-opted by Satan and in this fall of Adam and Eve. We've been in war with God. And so the truth of the matter is, the way out of this force is to realize that we don't even deserve to be with God. But the truth of the matter is that God loves us anyways. And God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. It happened once and it only happened once and it will never happen again. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and died for our sins that now we could have a beautiful, restored, atoning relationship. The truth of the matter is, is that God wants to embrace you here this morning with his love and with his grace. Your finitude, your, your smallness, your humanity is not a bad thing. Your individuality isn't an illusion. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing and it's eternal. God made you that way. In a nutshell, I close with this. The difference between Christianity and the New Age, one fundamental difference is that for Christianity, the highest goal, what we're aiming towards, what all of life is about is love. God wants a loving relationship with us. In Eastern thought, love is not the highest goal because individuality is an illusion and love requires two different people. Love is an illusion. The goal is identity. You will be God. From a Christian perspective, that is ugly. That desire is ugly. It's inappropriate. It's wrong. The love is much better. My prayer this morning is that we all here this morning, before we leave, would have that relationship with God. And I want to make a special call to those who might be here this morning, and maybe you've been influenced by New Age thought, maybe you haven't. Maybe you had Jesus and everything else, or maybe you haven't had Jesus at all. But I want to encourage you as we're dismissed to come forward here and there will be people who would love to introduce you to that relationship with Jesus Christ and begin the wonder and the beauty and the transforming relationship that God always intended you to have let's stand and close in prayer Father I thank you for your word I thank you for your truth I thank you Lord God for your love for us I thank you Lord God for showing us the way out of the forest Lord, and just the way the message has gone in the last five minutes here, I just feel, God, on my heart, a burden that there are some here this morning that have never publicly made a profession of faith in you. And maybe there's a kind of Christianity that's there, but it's not a sold-out kind of thing. Lord, I, I, I want to pray for those here this morning in that situation. And I pray, God, that you'd call them to complete the process that they've begun to come into a total relationship with you, Lord God. I pray for their souls. I pray, Lord God, that they'd, they'd choose you as the way out of the forest, Lord God, and leave behind everything else, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that they lay down their life at the cross here this morning. Call them forward by your spirit, Lord God. They know who they are. I pray you'd call them forward as, as we're dismissed. In your name we pray. Amen. Next week we talk about reincarnation and the age of Aquarius. <laughs>